Colossians chapter 1 as we read together verses 9 through 12. <clears throat> Praying to walk worthy. Colossians 1 verses 9 through 12. If you don't have your Bibles, I invite you to read along with us on the screen. And let's read in unison. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with a knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy and giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, we thank you for this prayer. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would make it the prayer and the cry of our hearts today. And that as we come into agreement with your mind, with your will, you will glorify your name as we walk lives that are worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. To you be all the praise, the honor, and the glory. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, last week we started looking at this wonderful prayer and we said that it is really comprised of two uh, main thoughts, the first of which that Dino expressed in his prayer this morning is that we become spiritually intelligent disciples as God fills us with knowledge. What knowledge is he filling us with? He's filling us with the knowledge of his will. You could be a brilliant person. You could have every PhD that any university would offer. But if you don't have the knowledge of God's will, you are walking in spiritual ignorance. So let's pray. God, make us spiritually intelligent disciples as you fill us. Fill us. Fill us. We need to have a complete comprehending of what God's will is so that we can then become spiritually disciplined disciples and walk in the revelation of that knowledge. Or to put it another way, first Paul prays for the discernment of God's will in verse 9. And then in these following verses that we've read, he prays that we would walk in the power to perform the doing of God's will. God calls us as disciples to walk in obedience. And what does the word of God say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Sometimes as Christians, we get hung up on the idea of sacrifice. How can I sacrifice for the Lord? And the Lord delights in our sacrifices, maybe you've given a sacrificial offering this morning. The Lord delights in that. The Lord delights when we uh, give the sacrifice of fasting and uh, we, we skip meals. That, that delights the Lord. But if we're walking in some disobedience 
to his will, he's wanting us to know that that obedience to his will is far more important to him than any sacrifice that we can bring. How often in our lives do we know what the will of God is? So we, we found the will of God, but the question is, do we do it? And our failure in this regard in knowing the will of God is when we pray, God, show us your will in the back of our minds and in somehow in our hearts, instead of us focusing on what God wants to tell us his will, we're wanting to express to him what our will is. It's a subtle little thing, but let me tell you, only God knows what is lodging in this heart. And that's why he says in his word that man's heart is, should we say the word, wicked and desperately evil? And even though it's sanctified, sometimes it's really selfish. And we want our way and we want to do our thing. And we're praying, Lord, your will be done, but in our mind and hearts, it's God, please change your will so that I can do my will. So the Apostle Paul was not satisfied that Christians would have some kind of generalized idea of what the will of God is. And all of us have that, right? We have this general understanding, what God expects of us, what God wants of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, it's his will that we read his word. It's his will that we pray. It's his will that we be witnesses. It's his will that we bring our tithes into the storehouse. But I wonder how much of that we are doing only as a ritual because we know that's what is expected of us. But this concept of the will of God being all pervasive so that it is so filling our minds and our hearts that we're walking throughout the whole of our day, not just in the morning when we say, oh, my Christian, uh, God's will is that I pray, so I better pray. And we walk out of our prayer closet and we forget all about God. We forget all about the idea that God has a will for me today. God has a plan. God has a purpose for my life today. And I want to be sensitive to his voice so that I could walk in the will of the Lord. So that I could do his plans and his purposes for my life. Let the will of God be all pervasive so that we know the will of God and we walk in the will of God. Paul understands right knowledge will lead to right practice. And we know the expression, we've heard it so often, we know better so that we could do better. And when we know better, we will do better. So let's open up our hearts today. God, reveal your will so that I might walk in it. And so Paul makes it abundantly clear that there is no contradiction to what we know and then as to how we walk in what we know. For the Colossian Christians to do better, they had to have uppermost in their minds one thing, and that is that I want to walk worthy of the Lord. Colossians 1.10 Let's get that into our spirits this morning. As disciples of Jesus Christ, 
we are to walk worthy of the Lord. That's God's will for our lives. But what does it actually mean to walk worthy of the Lord? You know, sometimes when we hear that, it conjures up these thoughts. Oh, you know, God is so holy and God is so great and God is so other than who I am. So now how can I merit God loving me? How can I deserve God showing me his favor and his grace? That is not what Paul is talking about here. He says, walk worthy of the Lord. And that word walk in the Greek is peripateo, and it really just means walk. But when Paul is talking about walk, he's not talking about putting one foot in front of the other. He's not talking about strapping on a pedometer and seeing how many steps you take in a day. He is using it as a metaphor that communicates a great challenge. And I like the way a Spurgeon commented on this passage and presents what that challenge is. Notice Paul did not say that we might talk. And sometimes as Christians, we, we give a lot of attention to how we talk, and it's important. It's not that we might sit down and meditate and enjoy ourselves, but that we might walk. The challenge of God's word to our hearts today is that we might rise up and walk worthy of the Lord. That is to say that there is a practical element and challenge that God's word brings to our hearts that the way we live our lives as Christians becomes befitting to the high and holy calling by which we have been called by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a radical change in the lifestyle that we lived before we knew Jesus Christ. We were walking in darkness, but now we are in light, so we are to walk as the children of light. It's what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Philippians. Now you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Are we walking with the Lord with fear and trembling? Do we tremble at the word of the Lord? We hear this word, walk worthy of the Lord. But do we receive that with fear and trembling? This is a serious thing. Walking as a Christian is not something that we take flippantly. Walking as a disciple, walking as a kingdom person is different. It's radically and diametrically different than how church people live. Church people rationalize away sin. They whitewash sin. They justify walking in disobedience. They're the woke people who want to be socially acceptable. And while they're being socially acceptable, they're walking in disobedience to the word of God. But the Apostle Paul is saying, now that you're saved, you need to bring your practice up to your position. Walking worthy challenges us to bring our practice in alignment with our position. We're seated together with Christ in heavenly places. How can we be walking down here in the lowlands of sin, in the lowlands of lust, in the lowlands of everything that is ungodly and unrighteous and displeasing to the Lord and say that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Walking worthy of the Lord is to forsake the lowlands and to bring our experience up to where our position is in Christ. The picture that we are looking at here 
that is being conveyed is that of a balancing scale. You remember those old-fashioned balancing scales? Well, our behavior and our conduct needs to come up to the level of the Lord Jesus Christ. The level, not of the most holy person at High Street Worship Center, but the level of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we look up to others and we say, wow, sometime I teasingly say to those that I admire when I grow up, I want to be just like you. But as Christians, as disciples, we need to say, Jesus, help me to grow up so I'm just like you. You are pure, you are holy in every thought, in every word, in every deed. God, make me like Jesus so that my walk is befitting of him who has called me to walk in him and to be the light that he is. I was thinking of the royal family and how their behavior is dictated to them because they are part of the royal family. They have no other choice. Although of late, we've noticed that one member of the royal family decided he just didn't want to uh, align with comporting himself according to how the rules are for the loyal family. But if they don't live in such a way that befits royalty, then they become a shame and a reproach to the crown. And Queen Elizabeth seems to be such a sterling example of comporting herself in such a way as to never under any circumstances, to tarnish or diminish the image of the monarchy because it is a high, high standard. And I thought that if Queen Elizabeth and the royal family are willing to align themselves with that kind of standard, how much more you and I, as children of the Most High God, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we would comport ourselves in such a way that we bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wants the Colossian Christians to understand that this calling demands a certain level of behavior. If we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, then we need to walk in a certain way that when we are placed side by side with Jesus Christ, people don't see us, they see Jesus. We show forth his likeness because we're walking in his footsteps. Well, we want to get practical this morning. What does the Word of God teach us specifically what it means to walk worthy? We find the answer to that question in verses 10 through 12. First of all, walking worthy of this high calling is walking in a pleasing way to the Lord. Do we understand as Christians that God created us for his pleasure? God did, God did not create us to be robots. God did not create us to be those who are in chains, and because we're in chains, we must obey him, or else the whip is going to come down on us. No, 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 no. God created us who are in Christ Jesus for his pleasure. But I wonder, is that our highest priority as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
pleasing God in who we are and in all that we do, pleasing him in every way. You know, there's a big difference between living a satisfactory life. You know, when I was in grammar school, there were certain, there were certain uh, disciplines, if we could call it that, that didn't receive an A, B, C, or D. It was either satisfactory or unsatisfactory. And I think some Christians are content to just get by with a satisfactory grade. It doesn't measure what's, how good that satisfaction was. Was it just you just got by by the skin of your teeth? Or was it you just excelled in that discipline and you were just so passionate about being the best that you could be? And so as Christians, I wonder if how many of us go through our lives on a daily basis thinking, am I, I, am I being a satisfactory Christian? As opposed to Lord, am I bringing pleasure to your heart? Am I delighting you? Are you finding joy in how I am living my life? How do we get up in the morning? What is the first thought on our mind? How can I make more money? How can I become more successful? How can I live a happier life? Or is it, Lord, how can I bring pleasure to your heart today? See, our attitude as Christians shouldn't be, well, now that I'm a Christian, I need to make sure that I tick off these things. And once I tick off those things, then, then I'll get a passing grade. Then I'll get a satisfactory grade. No, 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 no. Every moment of every day, walking worthy of the Lord means we've set the Lord always before us. You know, I got some new light on that as I was meditating on that verse. I've always understood it. I've set the Lord always before me. It's, Lord, my eyes are on Jesus. Jesus is before me. But then I thought, I've set the Lord always before me before me, before what I want, before what I think, before what my desires are, before what my goals are, before what my ambitions are, before what my objectives are. God, what do you want? I am your love slave. And it's not that you require this of me. It's that I love you with all my heart. I'm fulfilling that first commandment, loving God with all my mind, my heart, my soul, my strength. That's how we're to love him. And when we look to the cross, how can we help but not love him in that way? He gave his all for us. May God help us to walk worthy of this high and this holy calling and to bring him pleasure. So let's, let, let's get it down to the nitty gritty. Let's ask ourselves this morning, are our thoughts pleasing to the Lord? Is the way we spend our time bringing pleasure to the heart of God? Is the manner in which we raise our children pleasing to the Lord? The way we spend our money, the way we order the hours of our day, is it all pleasing to him? Is it pleasing to him with what we're watching on the boob tube? Or how we fritter away hours while we're sitting in front of our computer or on social media. Is it pleasing to the Lord? Is it bringing him pleasure? And I'm not trying to suggest that you're not allowed to be on Facebook. But I believe we should be on Facebook in such a way and with such an attitude that, Lord, I understand that 
I am allowed to do this, all things are expedient. I'm allowed, but all things are not profitable. So I approach Facebook with that attitude. It's not profitable if I fritter away large amounts of time. But if I just go in because I want to see what my friends are saying or what family members that are miles away might be posting, I believe the Father could take delight in that, and you can rejoice in watching a good, clean movie knowing that Jesus is sitting there with you on the couch because you're in relationship. He didn't come out of your spirit when you sat down in front of that TV. See, this is what it means to have the Lord always before us. We're living in an intimate relationship with him. And as we go through life, whether it seems sacred or spiritual, it's really all sacred because we do everything that we do in the name of the Lord and for his honor and for his glory. I know that might sound strange, but our Christianity is earthbound and it's practical and it's where the rubber meets the road. If we somehow are always looking how to divide, well, I'm in church, I need to act a certain way. Now I'm in work and now I could act another way. No, 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 no. We are who we are because Christ is in us. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we talk the way we do in church, the same way we talk the way we do in the workplace, in our neighborhoods. Because that's walking worthy of the Lord. We need to move on here quickly. Notice next, this walk that is worthy is a fruitful walk, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, Paul's not talking here about working for our salvation. Sometime people get that confused. Here we go again with that idea of merit. How do I deserve this? So I better do something to deserve it. Well, if you think that all your praying and all your Bible reading and all your giving is earning points with God, you've got a messed up theology. God loves you. God received you. God accepted you without you doing any of that. When we do those things, it's out of a response of a heart that loves him and wants to bring pleasure to him. But somehow as Christians, then we move to the other extreme and we poo-poo good works. Paul is saying clearly here and praying for the Colossian Christians that they walk worthy of the Lord by bearing fruit. What is bearing fruit? It's producing works of righteousness that also bring pleasure to the heart of God. And I know some people love to quote that scripture in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. But why don't we read the next verse that says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For good works to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you know when you got saved, God already had lined up for you what he wanted you to do for him, to advance his kingdom, to show him how much you love him, and so that you would demonstrate you want to walk worthy of the Lord. God, before, created us in Christ Jesus. 
to do good works. James confirms that very clearly, doesn't he? Faith without works is dead. You show me your faith without works, and I'm going to show you a faith that's not real. Because if you really accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, if you truly expressed faith in him, when he comes in, he makes a change. And that change shows itself by how we live our lives and the things that we do. In the context of this passage, these good works are the fruits that we are to bear as the disciples of Christ. You know, when we were in sin, what kind of fruit did we bear? We bore the fruit of a sinful nature. So we could engage in lust and not think anything of it because that was our nature. You could engage in jealousy and covetousness and hatred and animosity and bitterness and evil speaking and all of those things and think nothing of it. But now that the Spirit of God dwells in us, there is a different kind of fruit. We're no longer a poison tree. We're a tree of righteousness. A poison tree will produce poison fruit, but a tree of righteousness, a tree where the Spirit of God is permeating with his life is going to produce a life that is the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us the secret to bearing fruit, doesn't he, in John 15 and 5? Abide in me and I in you. And as we allow the Lord Jesus Christ to live in us and we live in him, and there is a union that nothing can separate. Do you understand that, Christian? I know that circumstances come our way at times and make us feel. A feeling doesn't change the fact. A feeling doesn't change the reality that God dwells on the inside of you and Christ in you is your hope of glory. No matter what circumstance you're dealing with today, no matter what sickness you're confronted with today, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Not the hope of defeat, not the hope of despair, not the hope of going down the tube in dust and in ashes. No, the hope of glory, being raised up, being victorious, being more than a conqueror do you know who you are in Christ and if we know it then we're going to walk worthy of the Lord thirdly notice in verse 10 a walk that is worthy is one that is growing in intimacy increasing in the knowledge of God we've all heard the expression haven't we to know you is to love you and when you truly love a person, you want to know them. You want to know everything about them. When you're with them, tell me what you're thinking. Do we have a right to their thoughts? But that's how intimate we want to be with them. We want to know the secrets of their heart. We want to look for opportunities to connect so that we can grow in our understanding of who they are and how they tick. And the joy of that relationship is even more enhanced when we are known. Because God so designed us and so created us that we have a desire not only to know, but also 
to be known. And that's how, that's how relationships are forged. It's no different with God. God created us with a vacuum that he alone can fill, a desire to know who he is and for us to reveal to him who we are. He already knows who we are, but we want to know that he knows and he asks of us to open up our heart, to let the walls come down, to become transparent with him. And that's why the psalmist says, reveal to me truth in the secret places. Some of us are still shrouded in darkness because we've hidden and we've buried things that God says, I want you to bring into the light so that I could bring wholeness and healing to you. And no Christian can grow into any depth of maturity in God if we are not growing in the knowledge of who he is and letting him know who we are so that the intimacy can grow. Let's remember also that the Apostle Paul is warring against this evil of Gnosticism that was creeping into the church, that was telling the believers there, oh, you have the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but there's a greater knowledge, there's a greater revelation to be had. Jesus is not enough. And Paul is saying, the only way we can counter and combat this error is with truth. And who is truth? It's God. When you know God and when you grow in the revelation of who he is, when you know truth, when you speak truth, when you're governed by truth, do we ever come to that place in our lives where we stop growing as Christians? Oh, I, I've been in church all my life. I know it all. Pastor, everything that you've said this morning, I already know. Well, I just want to ask you, are you living it? Because if you're not living it, then I'm doing my job as Peter did. I'm I know you know this, but I'm reminding you that this is how you need to live. If we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, this is how we need to live. The Apostle Paul knew Christ, but after walking with Christ for 30 years, what was the cry of his heart? That I may know him. See, we're talking about an ocean here. Some of us have just a thimbleful of knowledge of God, and we think we've attained. We think we have our PhD in who God is. And it's a thimbleful when God says there is an ocean there that is boundless of the revelation of who I am and what I want to reveal of myself to you. But our hearts are not open to receive it because we're too busy accruing the knowledge of the world and running after the things of the world. But if we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, we're going to grow in our intimacy with God. And then what happens when we deepen our knowledge of God? We are strengthened with power. Because I believe walking a life that is worthy is walking a powerful life. God did not call us as Christians to be weaklings. God did not call us as Christians to walk as these fumbling, mumbling, bumbling people that 
never make it and are never victorious and never on top. Doesn't the word of God says, I've made you the head and not the tail. I've placed you above and not beneath. And so if we're going to walk worthy of the Lord, to walk worthy of the standard to which he has called us, we need to walk powerful lives. What is this power for? We're charismatics and we love power. We want power to heal the sick and do miracles and raise the dead. And that's wonderful and that's good and that has its place. But that is not preeminent and that is not the priority of our lives as Christians. Some of us think it is. But the priority of our lives as Christians is to walk worthy of the Lord. And walking worthy of the Lord means I'm going to make myself conform to his image. I could go around and pray for people all day long and they could get healed and miracles could take place. What, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? I, I can do all these things. If I don't have love, and what is that agape love? That's that selfless love that says, God, I love you before myself. I love you and I want to do what you want me to do before I want to do what I want to do. Forget about what I want to do. As I said last Sunday, put me in the trunk of the car. You're driving this car. You take me wherever you want to take me. I'm here to do your bidding. I'm here to do your will. I'm here to walk worthy of the Lord. So what are we called to? We're called to endurance, patience, and endurance. God is calling us to live a powerful life because he knows without his power resting on us, we will never be able to have the endurance that we need. That endurance in our character. See, you could work miracles and be the most unpersevering. Is that a word? Do you know what the word endurance means? It means to remain under. So all of these stresses, all of these trials are falling on you. Life has a way of doing that at times, doesn't it? Unexpected. Man does not know what a day may bring forth. Friday night, uh, my son and daughter-in-law wanted, wanted to have a little father, family gathering. And uh, they invited my brother and sister-in-law uh, from down South Jersey and another sister, Kathy's sister from South Jersey. And we were looking forward to having a great time. And right before the party and get together, we get a phone call from my brother that says, Paul, we're sorry, we're not going to make it. Nancy had a late afternoon doctor's appointment. And we thought that right from that doctor's appointment, we were coming to the party, but they said I needed to take her right to the emergency room. We don't know what a day may bring forth. We don't know when something's going to go fluky with our bodies. But God calls us to have this kind of character that can remain under those circumstances and remaining steadfast, remaining strong, remaining persevering, saying, if God be for me, who could be against me? God is with me. What time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. And we don't go down in defeat. We rise up in courage. We rise up in victory. And in the midst of the most difficult of all circumstances, like Paul and Silas, while they were in that prison cell, while their backs were beaten and bleeding, 
they were able to sing praises to God. That's walking worthy, being patient, enduring, steadfast. And then he says long-suffering. And that's really more along the lines of patience. Endurance is more along the lines of perseverance when troubles come. But long-sufferings, maybe you do pretty good with your circumstances, but how do you do with people? Oh, people could really get us, can't they? People could really annoy us and trouble us. They say mean things. When we're driving, they cut us off. Or when we do something innocently, they give us the finger. And it's like, why in the, where in the world? You know, what, what kind of people are there in this world? And God says, can you be loving? Can you be forgiving? Can you be patient? See, this, this power that we need. This power that we need comes only according to his glorious might. We don't have it in us, but God makes it available to us. He makes it available to us simply as we pray the prayer that Paul is praying here. God, strengthen us with all might unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. It comes through prayer. And today, if we look at our lives and we assess, how powerful am I? How enduring am I in the difficulties of life? When people rub me wrong, how long-suffering am I before I tell them off? And it doesn't take much for some people. At the first indication of anything that rubs them the wrong way, they're ready to smack you right down tell you right off. Are we like Jesus, who went as a lamb before her, shearers as dumb, he opened not his mouth? Jesus calls us to die and to die quietly. And I'm the first to confess that it's hard for this flesh to die quietly and silently and not open our mouth when the sinful carnal nature is so quick to blurt out something that is unkind, something that is bitter, something that is arrogant, something that is prideful, something that is self-righteous, are we walking worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we walking powerful lives so that we could walk in victory? I think I missed that slide, but I want to put it up because it's so cute. We may not have problems with circumstances, but we have problems with people. I love mankind. It's people that I can't stand. And sometimes we're like Bob Mumford, who'd pray, Lord, bless so-and-so. And then he was tempted to say, bless them with a brick. That's, that's not the blessing that God is calling us to dole out to one another. Powerful lives. And then also thankful lives, giving thanks to the Father. The last mark of a Christ-pleasing person in walking worthy is a person who walks with an attitude of gratitude through life. You know, some of us could go through the whole day complaining about this, complaining about that, and we're never grateful for the good things that we have. It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to murmur. It's so easy to grumble. But it's not so easy to give thanks. 
when 99% of what we have is cause for thanksgiving and only 1% of what we have maybe is disparaging us. But of course, the enemy always wants to magnify that 1% and make it look like 99%. But if we'd step back and just get a hold of ourselves and start counting our blessings and naming them one by one, as the old hymn says, we'll start rejoicing with gratitude to see what the Lord has done. Are we walking worthy today, saints? May it be our prayer that God would give us a passion to live that kind of life that pleases God. Next slide. The life that is being fruitful. The life that is growing in intimacy as we increase in the knowledge of God. And the life that is being powerful and is being strengthened to be more Christ-like in our character. It's demonstrated by endurance and patience and joyfulness with gratitude. This is the life of walking worthy. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, this morning it is our humble prayer that you would awaken it in all of our hearts today, the realization and the understanding of what you have called us to in walking worthy in walking in a way that is befitting of our Lord and Savior, reflecting his character, thinking his thoughts, speaking his words, acting with his attitudes and actions. Make us more like Jesus today, we pray, that we in this dark world would be bright lights for the Lord Jesus Christ. Seal this truth to our hearts today, we pray, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Again, being July 4th, I thought it'd be great.